So we're in the next section of 1 Samuel chapter 27 through 31. And basically this is David and Saul both being where they're not supposed to be. So David's going to end up in Philistia territory where he's not supposed to be. And Saul's going to end up communing with a witch which he's not supposed to be doing. And this is how 1 Samuel is going to come to an end. But this also is the beginning of a new section of 1 Samuel chapter 27 through 2 Samuel chapter 1 of serial narration. Remember, that is when the narrator basically goes from story to story to story, and they're all woven into each other. They flow to each other, and there's a, a very unified story that's happening. Chapter 27, verse 1, David thought to himself, One of these days I'm going to be swept away by the hand of Saul. Now, what does that immediately say? One of these days Saul is going to kill me. I know it's going to happen. It's just a matter of time. Because God isn't going to protect me. He knows it, that God will. There's plenty of proof, just like in our own lives. But in this moment, he's so panicking, he's so desperate, he's so at the end of his rope, that he's just thinking, he's going pessimistic, and he's just like, there's no hope. This has been the last 15 years of my life. One of these days, I'm not going to be lucky anymore. And I'm going to die. At this point, David's been at peace for some months now. And he's been faced with the temptation to act like a warlord with Nabal. And he fell into that temptation but was stopped. And he learned that lesson and he processed it. And so he successfully grew in his walk with God. And he was able to transfer it to a new scenario. And he was able to resist the temptation with Saul to kill him in this new scenario. And you would say, wow, David, that's great growth. But the minute he grew in one area, then he's attacked in another area. And the old other area that comes back is he's really not safe anymore. You see, he thought he was safe now because Saul one time repented and walked away. And it gave David peace and rest. It's very easy to think God rescued me from that. God has delivered me from that. I don't have to deal with that anymore. But now Saul is back. And you realize, wow, that wasn't real. And now Saul's repenting again. And what are you thinking now? Yeah, that's not going to last very long. He's going to come back again. And also the new temptation that in his life that he's being pressed with by the spiritual warfare is you can't rely on God because even though God may deliver you from your enemy and give you peace, that peace doesn't last long and he'll come back again. You see, maybe you don't have to go out and kill the enemy because God will kill him for you. But until God kills them, you can't trust God and rely on him because that enemy is constantly going to keep coming back and coming back and coming back and coming back. Because there's all these different ways that we get hit. And the minute you think, wow, I finally succeed in resisting that, and then there's another thing coming at you somewhere else. And this is what David's faced with, a brand new temptation. He is getting desperate. And once again, we have no idea what it's like to be promised something so great like Yahweh has promised the kingdom to him and be on the run for over 15 years with your wife and your kids or your husband and kids and constantly going from one house and one hiding place and one cave to another cave to another cave with a man with an entire army chasing you down. And it's very easy. Yeah, David, why don't you just trust God? We can see that lesson here, but at the same time, like... That would be hard. That would be hard to trust in God when you're constantly on the run from an entire army chasing you down. 
And David finally gives in and just says, I can't do this anymore. There's nothing better for me than to escape to the land of the Philistines. What he should say is there's nothing better for me to do but then to go to Yahweh. Then Saul will despair, searching for me through all the territory of Israel, and I'll escape from his hand. So David left and crossed over to the king of Achish, the same Achish from the earlier book. The son of Makkah, the Gath, accompanied by his 600 men. And David settled with Achish and Gath, along with his men and their families. And David had with him his two wives, Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail of Carmel, Nabal's widow. Now, you've got to love the narrator, too, because not only do they mention where they're from, but they remind you this is Nabal's widow. Why? Because David married her pretty quickly after the funeral. When Saul learned that David had fled to Gath, he did not mount a new search for him. Now, is David's logic working? Yes. Nobody said that your logic can't work for a while. <laughs> David said to Achish, If I have found favor with you, let me be given a place in one of the country towns so I can live there. Why should your servant settle in the royal city with you? So Achish gave him Ziklag on the day. For that reason, Ziklag has belonged to the kings of Judah until this very day. And the length of time that David lived in the Philistine country was a year and four months. Why in the world would the king Achish ally himself with David and give him a place to live? Before Achish wanted to kill him all these years ago. He's not with Saul anymore. Ah, you see the first time that David went on the run, David had been fighting for Saul, right? And if he came to Achish and said, Hey, I'm no longer with Saul anymore. We're enemies. He's trying to kill me. Achish is going to be like, yeah, right, whatever. Just last week you were fighting Saul's battles. This is some kind of ruse. But now what has Achish seen? Saul trying to kill David for 15 years. That's a really long farce to try to deceive the enemy. Now remember, Achish in Philistine territory is only about 15, 20 miles away from all this stuff. No, they don't have a CNN and Fox, but after 15 years of only living 15 miles away from, 20 miles away from all this stuff going on, the grapevine's pretty successful in itself. And so he has seen with his own eyes that David is now the enemy of Saul, and Saul's the enemy of David. Not only is David an incredible military asset to your battles, but the enemy of my enemy is my friend. David is going to get security out of this because he's going to live in Philistine territory where Saul won't come after him anymore and Achish is going to give him military protection. No longer is it 600 men protecting David, many of which probably aren't really warriors, but now you have the entire Philistine technologically advanced army protecting you in Philistine territory and Saul won't do border crossings. But what is Achish getting out of this? I will take care of this guy and I am his only hope for survival because it is so obvious he is desperate. It's all over his face. And when I take care of him, he will be the king one day. Because it is only a matter of time before this fool in Israel will just run out of luck. And David has shown himself very capable. And when David becomes king, he will owe me. This is called investing in your political future. <laughs> he will owe me. He will owe me loyalty and gratitude when he becomes king in Israel. At best, 
I will be able to use it against him and manipulate him and make him my client king and control Israel completely without fighting wars. And that's probably what he's thinking. Now, we're not told he thinks, but come on, we've read enough history books to know how kings think. We learn how politicians think. And so this is the advantage. David requests a place to live, but he specifically requests not to live in the royal city because David doesn't want to be really close to the king because the closer he is to the king, the more the king will know what he's doing, right? He wants security, but he's not really becoming a political ally of the king. So he asks for a place in another city. The king gives him Ziklag. Ziklag is south in Philistine territory, right on the border of Israel on your map, in the, the right in the bottom yellow part. And so he gives him Ziklag. And the advantage of this is this puts David far enough away from Achish that Achish won't be looking over his shoulder all the time. And it will give him the advantage of being able to do whatever he wants without Achish questioning everything all the time. So it gives him freedom. But at the same time, he's in Ziklag, which is Philistine territory, which gives him protection from Saul. But he's also really close to the Israelite border, which puts him in Israel pretty quickly if he needs to get there. For Achish, this gives him an advantage because now David is with him in his army fighting for him, and that's a great ally. But he's also got David at great distance in case David really isn't truly loyal altogether. He's not right there in the thick of the royal city hearing all the things that he probably shouldn't be hearing. And so this is a win-win for each other. It's we're going to become allies as long as we stay at a great distance from each other. And so David lives here. But all this is not trusting God. Now for the, next, for the rest of the book of 1 Samuel... He will live in Ziklag for a year and four months. And never once will David mention Yahweh or go to Yahweh in prayer. And so everything that David has grown in in the last 15 years, all the ways he's learned Yahweh will take care of him. When he finally learned to begin to call on Yahweh and pray out to Yahweh, and Yahweh helped him, Yahweh spoke to him, Yahweh delivered him. He is now at the end of his rope and so tired of being on the run, so tired of living like this. He's gone to the Philistine territory, and now he's kind of, it's worked. He's safe, secure, so he's not trying to hunt him. He's got a pretty good dig, gig with the Achish. Achish is protecting him. Achish is feeding him. Achish is providing him money, and he doesn't need God anymore. Because remember, you're like, okay, why would God make him go on the run for all those years when God wanted him to be king? Why does God allow those trials to happen in your life? To make you utterly dependent upon him. David is going to become one of the most powerful men over one of the most powerful nations in the entire world. He's going to control all the trade. And that stuff goes to your head. But if God strips him of everything for 15 to 20 years and makes him utterly dependent upon him then hopefully by the time he becomes the king over everything, there will be some kind of habitual trusting in God that's already been established for a very long time. And yes, he'll still be tempted, and yes, he may still give in, but maybe not as deeply and maybe not as easily after that many years of being nurtured to trust God. Unfortunately, the power to get out of the fire and the trials has overtaken him, and he's going to Achish. Verse 8. Then David and his men went up and raided the Gershites and the Girgazites and the Amalekites, and they had been living in the land for a long time from the approach to Shur as far as the land of Egypt. 
So he begins to raid all these nomadic tribal people south of Judah and Philistia going towards Egypt. When David would attack a district, he would leave neither man or woman alive. He would take sheep, cattle, donkeys, camels, and clothing, and would then go back to Achish. When Achish would ask, where did you raid today? David would say, the Negev of Judah, or the Negev of Jarmel, or the Negev of the Kenites. Neither man nor woman would... Neither man nor woman would David leave alive so as to bring them back to Gath. He was thinking this was why they can't tell on us, saying this is what David did. Such was his practice the entire time. He lived in the country of the Philistines. So Achish trusted David, thinking to himself, he is really hated among his own people, Israel. From now on, he will be my servant. So David, for the next year and four months, begins to attack all the enemies of Israel in the south, the Amalekites and the Girgashites, and the Gizites, and all of them. But when he goes to Achish and gives his report to Achish, because he has to report to Achish, because Achish is funding him and providing for him, and he has to answer to him, he says, oh, I was attacking the Israelites, or the Kenites, who are, remember, allied and part of Israel, the descendants of Moses, or the, sorry, Moses' father-in-law's tribe. So he's lying to Achish. He is so successful in his lying and so convincing that Achish begins to trust David more and more and more as time goes on. But the other thing that David has to make sure that he does is every time he attacks somebody, he has to make sure what? He kills everybody. So that nobody can go back to Achish and report a different story. Because the Amalekites and the Girgashites are allies of the Philistines. And that wouldn't look good as a politician and a king to find out that the person that you've employed to be in your army is attacking your treaties and your allies. Now here's what's happening. Do you know what it's like to live with a secret and you've got to constantly lie all the time? And every single time you meet somebody, you're constantly wondering if you're going to get caught. Can you imagine the stress that you have to live in for a year and four months And every single time you attack somebody, you have to make sure you kill everybody. And every single time you walk away, you're thinking, what if one got away? What if I miss one? I mean, there's no guarantee. It's not like a video game where they tell you how many enemies there are. And when you get down to zero, you're done. You don't know how many people are out there. Remember Doag the Edomite? He was creeping behind the scenes and saw things that David didn't know about. There's always some girl in the bushes or some kid or some adult who run away. Halimelech got away, who can go back to Achish. And every single time you go to Achish, you're lying and you've got to keep track of your lies. How often can you tell them that you went to Judah and attacked this before Achish begins to realize, shouldn't that city be destroyed by now? So you've got to keep track of all the lies to make sure it doesn't sound too repetitive. And you're constantly looking over your shoulder and wondering Achish is getting angry. And then every time you walk into Achish and he's got this upset look on his face, does he got an upset look because he found me out and I'm caught now and I'm going to be dying? Or is he just upset because he had bad, something bad to eat and a bad marriage relationship that day? Right? When you live with sin in your life over a long period of time, you're constantly wondering if you're going to get caught. Why are they looking at me that way? Have I gotten caught or are they just having a bad day? What do they know? Or and they're like, you're in trouble now. And they're like, okay, what lie is it that they found? And you're constantly looking over your shoulder. This is what God meant by my burden is light and my yoke is easy. I remember years ago, Buzz, our principal, told this story. There's a student who just says, I don't like my parents. They're so restrictive and so legalistic. And um, not that they didn't like them, but they were just kind of frustrated at that moment. And they said, 
they, they don't let me like go to this party and they don't let me do this and I'm not allowed to watch these movies and that kind of stuff and like all these other people do. This is just not fair. They're so restrictive. They're so legalistic and that kind of stuff. And Buzz just basically looked at him and said, let me ask you a question. When you grow up and you get married one day, is there anything that you're going to be really ashamed to tell your wife one day? He's like, no. Is there anything you're going to be ashamed to tell your kids one day? Are you constantly looking over your shoulder wondering what's catching up with you and what's going to find you out? Are you struggling with sexually transmitted diseases or really bad, horrible images in your mind that you can't get out because of what you fed it with? Do you got drug addictions? Are you calling your parents up in prison? Like all this, he just went through all these different scenarios. And he says, he's like, no, 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 no. He's like, well, I think you need to go back and tell your parents, like, thank you so much for being an awesome parent. And he's like, well, now that you put it that way. <laughs> but that's what Jesus meant by my burden is light and my yoke is easy. Yes, it is somewhat of a burden and a yoke because he has commandments. But those commandments are so freeing in the long term of not having memories and guilt and baggage and, and things you're ashamed to tell your kids and spouses and friends one day and wondering if you're going to get caught and always looking over your shoulder. And God lifts all that off of you. Now, you need to understand something that's going on in this story. David is living with that now. Now, when he was in Israel, he was uncomfortable physically. His circumstances weren't good. He was going through trials. He was on the run from God. But he didn't have lies to keep track of. He didn't have the psychological, emotional stress to deal with of those lies. He wasn't looking over his shoulder wondering if he's going to get caught. He wasn't beginning to feel the guilt of not talking and praying to God after several months. Yes, his life was uncomfortable. Yes, he was going through trials. But he and God were talking and he was trusting God and God was delivering him. And it was merely circumstantially uncomfortable. He traded that for comfort and security in the circumstances and in the trials. And what did he trade it for? Lies, deception, fear of getting caught, psychological turmoil, stress, and no relationship with God and no prayer life with God because how can you talk to God when you've got that kind of stuff going on in your life? And the question is really, what's better? Having circumstances that kind of suck that make you depend upon God or being very comfortable by giving into the cultural worldview and living with all the emotional, psychological turmoil that comes with having that sin and that guilt and that shame in your life. David took matters in his own hands, and in one sense his life got better, but in the other sense his life got a whole lot worse than it ever would have been. And yes, life is not always comfortable with God, but your burden and the yoke are light and easy with God. And it's very important as we're tempted. The culture is changing in America. And you can either be tempted to go the route of the culture and begin to think like them and act like them as that influence becomes into our churches. And we've seen a lot of church leaders absorbing it and going that route. Or even, even behavior-wise to begin to act like them and watch the same movies and listen to the same stuff and all that kind of stuff. Or you can stand strong and be the weirdo in the culture and be circumstantially uncomfortable and without, yet be right with God and have a light and easy burden and yoke. And this is what David has traded. And on the surface, it seems great, but I guarantee after a year and four months, 
he's worn out. 